Welcome to the 29th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I'm your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. We are going to jump into a conversation regarding the beliefs that we held about ourselves pre and during eating disorder and the beliefs that we hold about ourselves now. So one of the overarching themes in uh, Megan and I's conversation pre-recording this episode was how thinness for us was believed to be a prerequisite to happiness. And even for me, I can just jump in and it was always about weight and it was, I'll never be the weight that I want, and therefore, I'll never be happy. So I had to reach a certain weight. I had to lose a certain amount of weight. And once I got there, everything's great. I can start my life. I can be successful. I can be happy. But I have to get to that point. And mm. everything up until that point is meaningless. Mm. And that was always yeah. Just like so like suffocating because even if and when I did reach that weight, it was never enough. And then it was like a new landmark of this is when my life can start. Um, Kira, I'm curious. Yeah. I, I relate to that so much. And there's just like actually like so many memories where distinctly in the moment I wasn't I remember not being happy because of that and it holding me back. Um do you have a memory that stands out where it's like, and you know, we don't need to be too like sad about it, but that it's like, oh, I could have really enjoyed that, but that belief held me back from happiness. So many memories, pretty much every single memory as a high school student. Wow. Because even, so first, I didn't go to the cafeteria, literally didn't step foot in the cafeteria like throughout my entire high school experience. And, you know, during lunch, that was as much as it was a time to like grab food, eat, re-energize yourself for the rest of the day. It was social hour and I would avoid friends. I would avoid peers. I would avoid strangers and isolate myself. So I know that I lost memory, many memories Mm. during that time. And then also the weekend was always kind of a big, like if there was an event going on in the weekend, that was always a big thing for me. So if there was like a friend's birthday party or Mm. uh, some kind of dance or prom or something like that, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't pre that event at the weight that I wanted to be, Yeah kind of like we were talking about before I would punish myself and say here you cannot enjoy this event because you are not at the weight that you are supposed to be yeah wow I just that is so powerful and that hits so hard it's almost like and I think that you know we were going to talk about this but there's there's the things that we tell ourselves and then there's what the world around us tells us so you know and that can be near and far um over over the past um break that we had over fall break I you know packing up my house with my family right now and um and it's been so cool because I found all these these really special things um and I've scanned them and and whatever and but I I found this one uh justice magazine um and Real, it's really old. It must have been from like maybe 2008 or nine. And I just look at the magazine and I was like, oh my gosh, because I was, I always wonder like, where did, where did this come from? Because my parents were always so accepting and so loving. They, they never really ever made comments about my weight. Mm-hmm. They, I never felt judged by them for it. Um, like truly and so I'm like where did I get all these ideas that how I looked was wrong and I just look at that magazine and it's uh who who played oh CC on shake it up what's oh Bella Thorne yes Bella Thorne's in this magazine it's when she's like in her early career as a young model and she's so she's just so tiny and it's all these girls at like a pool party and they are all like that 
And I remember my third grade pool party, birthday party Mm -hmm. for the first time. I'm pretty sure this this must have been the first time that I was like, I need to I need to lose a bunch of weight before my birthday party, like third grade in order to like get into the door. It's like almost like an, an, an invisible ticket. Yeah. For entry to enjoy something crazy yeah I'm curious because I remember in the first episode that we recorded you talked a lot about how your childhood home and the different like memories associated with either the Mm -hmm. hill that you would run up Mm -hmm. or the mirror in your bedroom and I'm curious about what it's like if if there's like a bit of like a grieving process there because you are leaving all of these memories Mm -hmm. although they you know obviously still exist in our in our brains but I'm curious about that packing up process what has it been like what was it like over breaker what will it continue to be like as you say goodbye to those things as you let go of those things to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and move to a new place that you you know doesn't have any memories yet yeah I mean I think Oof. <laughs> I don't it's going to be totally like a transformative experience. And my friend and I um, talk about this all the time. It's like you don't understand something until you've gotten out the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what I meant earlier by like I'm doing things to help myself recover right now, but I don't know what I'm going to need to do in the future. And it looks different um, at every stage in recovery. But I think um, at this point right now, the most the most grieving has been over these these little notes that I found to myself and I used to carry kind of like business card sized pieces of paper in my phone wallet and in my backpack with again all those things written on them all those terrible things and I would keep it in my pocket or wherever just to remind myself um, to keep fighting and to stay recovered Mm-hmm. And, you know, like perpetually reminding myself that like I'm at war and I need to be like on guard. Um, and so it's been those little hidden things that remind me so much of the things that I'd done in this room and the things I'd felt um, so many years earlier. But. I hope that answers your question. I feel like yeah. I did a bad job answering. No, 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 it did not. It did not. Um, what is your experience like in your home? Yeah, that, yeah. I have pretty much lived in the same home since I was like two or three. So wow, yeah. the home before that, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. When I was, well, there, there are t- several environments in my home that carry a lot of a lot of memory Mm. one of them is during freshman year so during when I was at the worst of my anorexia but also completely in denial my family was doing a renovation on our house so I had to move up to our third floor and I was mm. living up there alone. And it was like there was a bathroom. There was like a little like lounge TV area. So I basically like, like had a my mother-in-law type thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I basically like had my own apartment kind of thing within the within the house. And it was great because I was so independent and had my own space. But it was so isolating. Like I was several floors removed from everybody else mm. and several floors removed from the kitchen from like any food and that was also like a bit of an excuse to not eat Mm. um so that holds a lot of memories and whenever I go up there which is very it's not frequent at all because I don't really have any reason to go up there now but whenever I go up there there are so many memories of literally and I'm sure you might have the same thing like Mm -hmm. looking in the mirror in the bathroom yeah. And I can see so many versions of Kira that were dissected and judged yeah. in that mirror. Yeah. And it's a it's a lot. Like it is a lot to look in that mirror now because that mirror carries so much emotional memory for me. Wow. 
I just listening to you talk like this this came to me and I hadn't even thought about it recently um my camera roll I have to go through my camera roll um because I am so beyond out of storage (laughs) (laughs) so I have to go through it Mm -hmm. and I haven't addressed it with myself what I'm going to do with the probably thousands of photos that I have standing in that mirror Mm. so so many photos and I there was a year uh, I think it was like freshman year that my friends you know it was like the fun thing to play like quiplash and then like photo roulette okay and I played photo roulette once (laughs) and I was like never again because it's if there's photos on my camera roll of me standing in front of the mirror in a bathing suit or you know a bra or whatever photos of me crying in the mirror um you know and I think the most sad photos of all of them you just like you see the emptiness Mm -hmm. and and before that I see a healthy physically version of myself standing in front of the mirror and I just see it in my face how much I hate myself Mm. in those photos and that's that's sad to Mm -hmm. look at to look at my body as it was around sophomore year freshman year when I was still at a healthy weight and before I really got aggressive with my behaviors and before the bulimia when I just wish that I saw what I see now in my natural shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's uh, self-love is really hard when it's when you feel like your natural shape is wrong. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, I completely relate to that. Whether it be photos or mirrors or the scale. Mm-hmm. There's different objects, I think, in the life of an eating disorder survivor and an eating disorder recoverer. And those things act as like metrics mm-hmm. of certain periods in your life and periods in your recovery and can be so triggering. I have this conversation with, with many friends mm-hmm. and with myself a lot about going back and viewing old photos of myself because even after the point that I got rid of the scale as a metric of my self-worth, then it was either like the mirror or photos or clothes. Mm. Like one of those things would then become a metric of like how much damage I had done in terms of like gaining weight or changing my body. Yeah. Oh, what a hard... You know, I was thinking about that the other day where there's... So I'll say this is kind of a tangential and I have another question I want to ask but um, there's things we do to get recovered at all like to to get to become recovered from being ill and then there's things we do to stay recovered Mm. and I want to draw such a there's such a big difference between the two yeah even though sometimes we do the same things for both reasons but you know I when I was at my most anxious most depressed most bulimic most screwed up there's no amount of like meditating or mindfulness or yoga. I was I would get more anxious when I was like doing all the things mm. to care for myself. Like I it paralyzes me. Um and yeah, and then there's things we do to those those things like I said like the meditation and all that stuff. It's so amazing now. Um to be able to do them and they actually help. I would say like don't beat yourself up too much if like the things that you see online for how to help yourself like aren't working. Like there's different things you have to do for yourself at every stage of recovery and a lot of the stereotypical like tools and one of them big one intuitive eating, you know? Mm. Like way down the funnel yeah. is that. Like <laughs> yeah still working on that um mm-hmm. you know and it's like talk about like such a big journey for figuring out like okay what is how do I tell the difference between uh, a craving and a binge urge mm. 
really hard. Yeah. And and you were saying that that you you'll put on a pair of pants and they'll feel a certain way or something yes. like that, and that might launch you back. Yes. And make you be like, all right, time to crack the whip on myself again. Yep. So maybe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, still, I think maybe clothes is the biggest thing for me. Mm-hmm. I have the hardest time with dressing myself. Mm. <laughs> and I know that sounds like, so, you know, this is part of our basic responsibility as human beings yeah. is to like learn how to dress ourselves. Yeah. But I have a really hard time not being triggered by clothing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So typically, and typically that's like tight clothing. So yeah. Um, I also partly because of my IBS, I have like um, the nerve functioning in my stomach, specifically in my midsection, which is where my IBS more or less manifests itself mm. um, with like bloating and swelling and different things like that. Mm. Tightness around that is aggravated even more because I think there's like science that shows that the nerve endings in the stomach for those with any kind of like gastrointestinal disorder mm-hmm. are just like that much more heightened or yeah. yeah and so totally wearing tight clothes like that is often very triggering and like hurts and is uncomfortable yeah. um and typically I will wear like more oversized clothing to mm-hmm. accommodate for those needs from the IBS and from a past of, of disordered eating and then also um in a way, because I'm still learning what it means to believe that I have a lovable body. Yeah. Because I think hiding myself in certain ways is telling of my perceived unlovability. Yeah. So figuring out how to like undo that warped mindset. Mm. Um, and really, like you were saying, how to self-love, which is yeah. so hard. <laughs> and it's... So you you wear the clothes that are more comfortable for you, but you almost feel like you're acting under the assumption that people are looking at you and thinking things or that it just is. Like, I just just don't deserve to wear Mm -hmm. this type of thing. And of late, this has been frustrating. Mm -hmm. I have always, and I said this last time, I've always um, sucked at dancing, but what's funny I've always wanted to be a dancer Um, (laughs) like I've always really wanted to be good at that uh but I never really have been and I always wrote it off as like oh like my legs like I couldn't I just don't look like a dancer Mm. and now I look at like pictures of um like professional uh, ballerinas like some of the ones that you're seeing more and it's Mm -hmm. like actually like I I do I have like legs like that Mm mm-hmm and it's like, I why do I just uh, immediately exclude myself from so many little things or opportunities because I assume that, like, my body's not welcome there? Mm. Is there something with that – is there something to do with, like, fear? Like, is it a fear of rejecting, like, your body being rejected in those spaces – is it a fear of I'll ask you that question. What do you what do okay. you think? Yeah. <laughs> I I have a big question after this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think for me, for my personal experience, and again I'll just like preface this, but I'm I'm an expert in my personal experience. So this, mm-hmm. you know, m- maybe is not applicable to everyone, probably is not applicable to everyone. I find that typically there is a fear associated. So, for example, me wearing more comfortable, oversized clothing mm-hmm. is a fear of my body being unloved yeah. or a fear of my body being seen and judged. Mm. So it's kind of like you have to you have to like identify what is maybe painful. And then for me, either finding a fear or a false belief under that. Yeah. I think so this actually leads perfect into the question I was going to ask you is, I mean, we just finished an episode all about um, designing your life for recovery. And I didn't touch on um, what that looks like in the social sense. 
in terms of positioning your social environment and like choosing where you exist and knowing that it's going to make recovery easier or harder, I think how hard it must be for people that are in a community where weight and appearance is currency. Like, yeah. You know, even even if it's 50 percent of people that see it as currency, how damaging it must be to think these things about yourself and then go and you do see it confirmed. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have, you know, a relative that that thinks, oh, you know, making comments about someone's weight. Oh, they gained Mm -hmm. weight. They lost weight or oh, so and so looks so good. Um, And I remember um it's it's you need those like people in your life and like experiences to cling to to for like a sense of like truth um and I'm that's why I'm so grateful for my parents because they've never seen weight as currency mm. and they my mom even told me when um you know when I was younger like oh I you know that's one of the reasons we love living in Washington and where we live is because you can make any friends you want. They don't care about the car you drive or what you, how you dress. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both from Southern California is where they mm-hmm. grew up, where those things do matter. Yep. It is like, okay, you want to be friends with us? Like, show me your boob job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, show me show me your Maserati, whatever. And that's a huge sweeping generality. And, or, like, even Orange County is so many different, um, you know, SES statuses and and neighborhoods and places so um if you're from orange county i love you i see you i'm sorry i'm I'm not trying to generalize your experience but um i think there is a lot more of that just in terms of how how prevalent it is um you could show up to a kid's you know your kid's soccer game wearing like toe shoes and you'd have no problem making friends or whatever Mm -hmm. it's not about like just weight just isn't currency. Mm. And so what happens to your recovery journey when it is currency mm. where you are? So that's that's my question I'm going to pose to you is what is designing your social environment look like as someone recovering from anorexia? And in my personal experience, I know freshman year partying was extremely triggering. Like, Mm. literally, I cannot think of a better example of weight being currency Mm -hmm. than a sweaty college party where you literally know no one except your friends. And the only thing, the only thing that people are looking at in terms of, you know, like what, you know, increases your success, quote unquote, at this event is your body. Yeah. It used to make me so mad. I used to just walk into a, into the door of a party and be like, you know nothing about me. Yeah. The only thing you are doing right now, and I'm just be into the void in my head. Yeah. The only thing that is being examined about me right now is my body, and there is so much more to me than that. Yes. This is the least interesting thing about me. Yeah. And it, right now, it's, it's a body contest. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you said... This is the least interesting thing about me. Like my our bodies mm-hmm. are the least interesting things about us. Yeah. We are whole human beings. We are integrated in many different ways mm-hmm. and our bodies cannot possibly communicate that. Mm. So I love that. Thank you. And thank you for that question because that's something I've been really really struggling with lately. I'd love to get your opinion on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just to to preface this I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been doing a lot of career discernment Mm. and as some of the listeners know I've been thinking about um, some kind of creative writing some kind of acting some kind of directing so something Mm -hmm. within like the entertainment industry which you know is as no surprise bodies are currency and that has been something I'm really struggling with because Mm. I have such a staunch opinion about that and about our bodies being presented as completely and exclusively the manifestation of our worth or our 
value in like being talked to or like being approached. Yeah. And so as someone who's considering an industry where bodies kind of become public text and, and currency, I'm terrified. Yeah. Um, and I would also just add that to me, I believe that there's also like a gendered politics to this as well, where it seems that in my experience um, and in others, like female bodies specifically become more public text and more for whatever reason. Yeah. For whatever reason, like are available to be dissected and like Mm -hmm. judged and seen as the whole of that person. So I struggle with that identifying as a female and also someone who is like considering acting where how you look literally can determine whether or not you get a role. And that's just so against what I personally believe, especially after this eating disorder experience Mm -hmm. um, and how acting is kind of the intersection between hyper visibility and invisibility because there's a hyper visibility because what you look like and what is happening on your face, on your body, whatever is the content of what the camera records and what literally every single person on set is working to achieve. But then also there's like this sense of invisibility because are you disappearing? Is Kira disappearing to then bring the other character forth? Yeah. And then also you talk about like visible work, like, and, and one of the beliefs that I've had to kind of deconstruct and work against Hmm. is work only being meaningful if it is visible and acting is perhaps like the most visible work because your work is literally embodied you know it's like visible it's supposed to be visible it needs to be visible Mm -hmm. in order to communicate something to the audience so no conclusive answer but these are all things that I've been thinking about Mm pre-career because I think if I go into it blind I will relapse undoubtedly yeah wow I mean so I have so many thoughts based off of that like what uh I think you know your your end goal to work in this industry is so awesome I'm so excited for you you. and I think that you can be like almost like a leader in saying you know there is another way we don't have to be so um obsessed about fitting a certain uh, a body type or image. Um, there's there's two things that I kind of want to ask you more about, but mm-hmm. I th- totally think it's gendered. I think one of the best examples or illustrative examples of someone that acts under the assumption that their body is wrong, and that's why body positivity accounts were so aggravating to me for so long. They were just personally triggering. Mm-hmm. Is because you see these really long dramatic posts about you know my body is okay and it is lovable and blah 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 and implicit in that is that there's someone telling you that it's not okay mm-hmm. instead of it just being mm-hmm. and so I feel like every year every few months Oprah comes out with some new weight loss thing mm-hmm. and it's like Oprah like no offense girly I don't care about yeah. your weight you know yeah and you coming out and saying my my body is okay the way it is it's like you are just first of all I that pain is so real and second of all it's like look at look at this clear sadness you're living your life under the assumption that it is wrong mm-hmm. and so it's like you don't need to come out with this you wouldn't need to come out with this big statement about, you know, being a warrior or being brave enough to love your own body. It shouldn't take bravery. Mm-hmm. It should just be, you know, I don't know. Um, I Yeah, just to jump in real quick. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And that is actually something I've been thinking about, too. I just read this book called Hunger by Roxanne Gay. And I don't know if anybody... Oh who's listened to it, has read it. I'm actually going to do an episode on it um, for this podcast. Fascinating book. She specifically talked about Oprah because Mm. 
as as someone who clearly is so deeply entrenched in diet culture and actually like more or less an advocate for diet culture yeah i'm pretty sure she like has some kind of stock in weight watchers or yes like, she does yeah okay, yeah so and it's like now she's on a new there's always some new diet that she's doing yes you know and it's i literally can't imagine how exhausting that is like she seems someone who's like i mean I don't want to speak for her because I don't really know her struggles. I don't know her personally, but she seems as someone who's constantly trying to change her body because of her perceived fault. Yeah. And it's so incredibly tragic that that's the case. And it's frustrating because she has an incredible platform Mm -hmm. and uses it to kind of teach others yeah in in one way or another like how to hate themselves and what so what message do we send to you know women in non you know media preferred type bodies or, or women of color what message does it send to these women if it is such a brave act to come out and say i love myself like you're you're implicitly telling these women and these girls that like this is a hard thing to do right. you know it's it does that make sense yes that it's like it shouldn't be this big courageous thing just to say you know I love myself the same way that like I like my current phone case you know yeah. it's like it's what about the fucking phone inside yeah. of it you know yeah and Oprah's a brilliant woman my favorite podcast episode of all time all time is from her mm-hmm. you know she's a really smart lady and I just I just worry about her and all these other women that are hung up on their own assumption that the world thinks there's something wrong with their body. Yes. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because I think she there was some commercial and there was some commercial where she talked about how she can eat bread like every day. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just again, I mean, yes, it's kind of like. I guess a positive thing, but if you read the subtext of it, she's saying yeah. like I couldn't eat bread or like I implicit couldn't. is that bread is bad. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. Wow. It's just it's a lot. Um, so I think that that really gets it at kind of the point that we started with is like there's two things going on here. It's what the world tells you symbolically or in words or in actions. You know, you get a cast. You get casted in a show or not. Um, blah, you some opportunity happens. You know, some guy approaches you, um, or a partner, whatever, or not. And how do we interpret that? What assumptions do we make about the things that happen in our lives? And I'll I'll equate the the media struggle. Um, that I think you're bracing, it sounds like, this is a good word to use yeah. it, to encounter. Yep. As we were just talking about the, you know, on our break, we were just talking about the mirrors in the gym above us are um, so warped. It's so funny. Like it's, 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 and so you see the difference there. I called it funny. Mm. It's not distressing because I know it's just a mirror. And I I think what's really been what was really triggering in the first few years of recovery was how different my body could look in a different photograph. Mm. And so it's like now instead of looking into a mirror or at a photograph and being like, "Oh my god, that is how I look." Oh my god, just be like, "Oh, that's a f- I look interesting in that photo." Mm-hmm. Or I look, you know, a certain way in that photo in that mirror Mm -hmm. and you can choose to believe that depiction of yourself or not Mm -hmm. take it or leave it and you can like lean into the positive symbols that are there um instead of just clinging to i would cling to the bad photo Mm -hmm. i used to make my lock screen the most ugly photo of myself i could find wow as mo- again as motivation, motivation yeah. and to it's such a difference again I said this in the first episode but these things can't be rushed you know maybe right. for Oprah step one is saying I can eat bread right and 
Oprah's never going to listen to this, but <laughs> yeah, I, it's very, we're very privileged to be able to say these things. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think you bring up several great points and that's one of the questions I think I get asked the most is how do I deal with seeing myself or seeing different versions of myself, whether that's in a photograph or mm-hmm. a mirror or some kind of other representation of self. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really hard. I'm also going to do an episode on that. Yeah. It is written uh, and will be released in a couple of weeks. But overall, what's really helped me is thinking about each of those manifestations of self as like a representation, mm. but not the actual thing. Like your aura cannot possibly be captured by one moment of like a camera, you know, click mm-hmm. or by one perspective in a mirror, especially when we know that mirror mm-hmm. mirrors can be really distorted and like, yeah, and it's just like, it's a, it's a piece of glass and am I going to let one singular piece of glass like ruin my day or ruin my recovery or yeah yeah so it's it's a hard it's a hard um it's a it's a hard battle to wage um it's a necessary battle because we kind of need to reconcile different versions of ourself as recovered but it's difficult Mm -hmm. and I think again I covered up my mirror for a long time. So going back to that notion of like, do what you need to do for yourself right now in mm-hmm. this moment. I can go to the gym now and I can look in a mirror and and think I look a little funky or not like how I want to look. Um, and it is with such great joy that at this moment I can not let that ruin my day. But that wasn't the case, you know. Right. Always. Um until you know recently right yeah I would say my first some there's yeah there's beliefs that I have to cling to and the more that I repeat them the more true they become but Mm -hmm. my first nutritionist the one that I said was so great um she says like a real body looks different every day Mm. and you could pair that with you know the wisdom of to not change is to be dead yeah yeah so yeah I uh, one other thing I wanted to to get your opinion on um what do you assume about your own body and you don't need to share if um you don't want to but what what parts of yourself do you assume the world doesn't like and I talked to you about this uh before this show, I always assumed that people didn't like my face shape and my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted to do away with those parts or, or make them look different. So accepting, again, when I became a restored weight, I just always was like carrying around this chip on my shoulder that like, oh, yeah, I'm recovered, but, you know, that means that everyone else is tolerating the way that I look and that it's bad and that any future partner I have is just going to be overlooking those flaws. Mm. You know, like, see, there's such a big difference between seeing them as, uh, like, things that a partner would have to overlook or, or tolerate when... Uh, my my previous boyfriend uh, and I and he's he's an incredible human Um, and again when you talk about like designing your social life in alignment with recovery he was so incredible for with that and so accepting Mm -hmm. like really be careful honestly who you choose to date and who you choose to marry because they will either they will make or break your recovery that's Mm -hmm. just my opinion Mm -hmm. but he helped me so much we never made any comments about one another's body for several months into dating Mm. no comments Mm -hmm. but I was even though that was helpful for me I was still operating under the assumption that 
certain parts of my body he was just tolerating. And then one one night we kind of allowed ourselves to talk about it because I had, you know, he has these these really gorgeous freckles in my opinion. And um, and so like a compliment led to another and without any prompting, he's like, I just love your legs. And I love the shape of your face and that when you smile, you kind of stick your chin out a little bit, which I hate it. Mm. Like, it's almost like, how dare you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the things that I've been so dissatisfied for for years. Mm-hmm. You just decide to love one day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, screw you for <laughs> for coming along and and totally just totally changed my perspective and made me fully believe because of this life experience that we had together that I and I'm a firm believer that the way that you are the way that your body looks isn't something that your person is tolerating you are their preference Mm. the way that my legs look the color of my hair my face shape was his preference Mm -hmm. not something he was bearing yeah and it's like, so what, I don't know, how do you, how do you navigate the world? How will you unknowingly navigate the world if you just assume that you're unlovable? Yeah. And so I'd love your yeah. ideas on that. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that too. I, th- I think it's so, that's so profound. Um, yeah. I think for me, what I struggle with most is how... And this is like a second battle that I'm waging post eating disorder mm. is how I manage the manifestations of the IBS mm. because it feels like it feels like a privilege to have let go of the eating disorder but with with the condition that the eating disorder will always exist in my body or on mm. my body. Yeah. Because IBS like considering it's a chronic medical condition like I will have to wage that battle every day yeah and so that typically manifests itself in like my like digestive system stomach um which is completely uncontrollable Mm. um which is kind of like another thing it's like ironic because how does that impact your ability to to heal and to forgive yourself does it feel like a reminder yeah it's like a daily, multiple times a day reminder. Oh. And it's hard. And I, I at first thought it was like so cruel. Like I was angry. I was like, seriously, like I'll, I'll take anything. Yeah. <laughs> but a digestive system that is no longer functioning well and then that serving uh, as a reminder of the eating disorder, I was like, oh, this is so cruel and angers me so much because this caused so much pain for me for so long and now I feel like I've permanently like broken myself Mm. which was really hard and is still something I'm trying to contend with what I'll say now and it's an ongoing journey yeah what I'll say now is I'm trying to shift my perspective to really investigate again all of these beliefs that I have about myself in accordance with the IBS that it is that it is an ugly condition that no one wants to see no one wants to hear about Mm -hmm. and again these are like all of the things that could be attributed to the eating disorder and what the eating disorder the lies that the eating disorder told me Mm. no one wants to hear about it no one will understand um oh wow yeah like that that kind of stuff basically it's it's morphed it's mutated from the eating disorder to ibs so it's again confronting those same things that i were was confronting for years Mm -hmm. but i've shifted my perspective with the acknowledgement that fighting these battles again although a bit different and although with bit with different armor Mm -hmm. is making me that much stronger and that much an advocate of self-care and attempting self-love as much as possible and really forming a communication system with my body and really being 
an advocate for and pursuing my own healing. I I have a question and but first a, a, just a comment. I think it's so I I that just must be so hard to like I don't know have a friend or someone tell you um you know you're recovered, you're so strong and then to have this permanent reminder that's like but look how you know you're broken mm-hmm. and I think it, it it's almost a form of heartbreak to tell yourself things that you know or that you believe aren't true, mm-hmm. you know? Um, wh- what could you tell yourself, given this complex reality of, of feeling like you're recovered in some ways but broken in others still, still fighting – what what are some words that you could say to yourself? Um, I think I struggle a lot with decision making. It's been mm-hmm. my big that's my biggest source of anxiety, and mm-hmm. so I can't tell myself you made the right choice because my brain's always going to be like, "No, you didn't." Like mm-hmm. it knows, and so I say to myself, like you know, it wasn't a perfect choice. No choice is perfect, but it's the choice you made. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost think like saying to yourself, like my body might be broken. It might not be, but it's not worth giving up on or I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. What, what are some words that come to mind that you could say? I love those. And I'm currently writing those down (laughs) as you say them, Uh, because as much as I might be able to offer advice regarding this, I am very much receptive to advice. So I, Mm. I appreciate you saying that. I think a lot of the things that I tell myself are often like the words that'll cycle in my head are forgive, Mm. like forgive this, like forgive yourself. Yeah. Practice self-mercy because Mm. I think I harbor a lot of guilt over what I did to myself as like permanently like destroying biological functioning (laughs) it's like that that's like a a big burden to bear but then I remind myself that I I deserve forgiveness and I deserve self-mercy and even if that's like a it's still a two-way street but you're giving it to yourself and you're getting it from yourself and I think that's really important Another thing that I often say to myself is, and I think this is more like a coping mechanism, like a temporary coping mechanism, but it's like recede or retreat. Hmm. So like if, if the battle that I'm waging is too hard to just come back into myself and give myself like a momentary reprieve to mm-hmm. collect myself, to forgive myself, and then to move forward. Hmm. Megan, I just want to say thank you so much again for being here and for and for letting us have this conversation too um, at the end of at the end of this episode. Thank you so much. You I, are incredible. And you are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so lucky to have been able to talk to you in this way. And thank you so much for sharing your vulnerability and being with us here in the studio. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the work that you do and for the stories that you're allowing to be told so thank you so much so all new episodes of htil will be uploaded to podbean spotify apple Podcasts, and google Podcasts by 11:59 p.m each sunday night if you miss the live broadcast feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites if you would like to listen to my own eating disorder story you can listen on any of these platforms please consider sharing the podcast with family friends or those who you feel could specifically benefit If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment, financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. 
Each tale has its very own Instagram and Twitter account, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, like Megan has done, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.